she said she saw a fire under the train on the train tracks. As more CN rail crews enter Lytton, the investigation into the cause of the catastrophic fire gears up. Plus, we've spent, you know, three generations, four generations building this up. Uh, we can't afford to lose it. Without weather on their side, thousands brace for the worst as wildfires across BC force more evacuations. And this has got to be one of the nastiest places on earth to do this. Climbing for charity, the cause behind a bike ride spanning the equivalent of the elevation of Mount Everest. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. A significant part of any investigation into the devastating Linton wildfire is whether a passing train may have sparked the disaster. Now a witness has come forward that is lending greater credence to that idea. Ahmad Agahi joins us from Spence's Bridge with more. Ahmad. Well, we are in Spence's Bridge. This is one of the first communities where evacuees had to escape the Lytton fire uh, to go to, but certainly you could see uh, the air quality here is very, very poor. And many of the evacuees have actually moved on to further north to Ashcroft or uh, east to Merritt. And there is little life left here in Spence's Bridge. It is a fire that has taken the lives of loved ones while destroying and displacing an entire community. Our house is to the point of almost burning soon. A wildfire that is growing viciously out of control, but one for which the cause has yet to be confirmed by the BC Wildfire Service. I just want to see like an inquiry on it. You know, a lot of people's, it's not homes, it's people's lives. Many eyewitnesses in Lytton and the surrounding immediate areas had seen a train Wednesday night. Oh, is the train on fire? It is unclear through the smoke what the problem may have been, until finally it was halted near Boston Bar. It had now traveled 39 kilometers south of Linton, and that's where Gary Phelps' wife also spotted the burning train. She was looking out the window just prior to Boston Bar. She said she saw a fire under the train on the train tracks. They called 911 and even drove to the local fire hall in Boston Bar to alert the firefighters there. By the time we got back, it was fully engulfed. And then the train started to catch on fire and it was carrying wood and that kind of stuff. And the train was fully engulfed. Well, we have heard from multiple eyewitnesses that this is the location where the problematic train that may have passed south through Lytton, causing the devastation in that community, was eventually stopped here south in Boston Bar and put out by helicopters and firefighters. Now, the damage left near this area along the track and the trees seems to support that as well. A statement from CN Rail, whose crews are on the ground in Linton, says it will offer its full assistance to help authorities identify the causes of this tragic incident. Meanwhile, many residents, now homeless, are questioning the decision to operate heavy rail at a time when the community of Linton was experiencing a record-setting temperature. They were grinding several years, grinding the tracks in the same weather several years ago and started up the west side. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a pattern of irresponsibleness. We're also hearing now that at the time of the Boston Bar fire with the train tracks and that train involved, there were Lytton firefighters who had left the town to come help with the Boston Bar fire, not knowing that their own community would be the one needing the most help. 
Amadagahi, Global News. While residents are growing more convinced of the fire's cause, federal officials, those who regulate railways in Canada, say it's too early to know for sure. I want to be very clear. I'm, I'm not able to confirm, confirm the source of the fire that took place in Linton, but we are investigating all possibilities. Um, we've, we've also, you know, I, I don't want to speculate on, on this cause, but I did have a conversation earlier today with the Minister of Transport, Minister Algabra. We talked about, you know, the potential that the movement of, of rail uh, traffic through uh, the, these very dry and potentially dangerous regions uh, could have. And, and Transport Canada is now working with BC officials and and the 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 the, the rail companies uh, to address cons- concerns that have been raised. There was some noticeable activity into Lytton itself today as the work to assess the devastation and fatalities begins. Our Paul Hasem is joining us from outside of Lytton with the latest. Paul. Yeah, Nithu, this has been the busiest day yet here at the checkpoint just south of Lytton, with a number of agencies finally gaining access to a village that has been decimated by fire. That includes the forensics team waiting to enter the site since Thursday, but unable because of toxic chemicals polluting the air. Now inside the apocalyptic scene, they are expected to make some heartbreaking confirmations. At least two people are known to have died, but there are several more people who remain unaccounted for. Sources telling Global News that multiple casualties are expected. Now, along with the forensics team, heavy machinery and mobile units are starting to arrive to begin the long process of dismantling the destruction left behind by that fire. And it's a fire that's still raging and still growing, now burning north of the community where another 100 homes have been forced to evacuate. And while a number of vehicles are gaining access, a number of people are not. Evacuees have been showing up, hoping to get in and assess the damage only to be turned back around while other evacuees we've spoke to say there's no point in going back in there's literally nothing to go back to nithu paul hasem reporting for us tonight thanks very much for that paul the Lytton Chinese History Museum is among the casualties of the wildfire that's believed to have destroyed 90% of the village. The museum posted this image on social media saying the building was totally burned in the fire and all that remains are the rock walls in the background. Days before the fire, the museum posted this photo saying its doors were open for anyone looking to escape the heat. The Lytton Chinese History Museum opened in May of 2017 thanks to the efforts of Lorna Fandrich, who purchased the parcel of land it sits on back in 1980. When she learned the Main Street address housed a Chinese temple in the 1880s, she wanted to honor the culture and sacrifices of Asian immigrants. The museum was dedicated to preserving and displaying artifacts and photos with the goal of encouraging a greater understanding of the hardships and contributions made in BC interior by thousands of Chinese miners, railway workers, merchants and farmers. Of course, the Lytton tragedy is just one of hundreds of wildfires burning across the province right now. And as Kristen Robinson reports, there is no let up in the extreme conditions that are sparking and fueling the flames. Log houses are susceptible to burning. As the Durand Lake wildfire forces evacuations southwest of Kamloops... If the winds change, uh, that fire could be upon us in an hour. Mike Anderson is staying behind to protect his property and livestock. We've spent, you know, three generations, four generations building this up. 
Uh, we can't afford to lose it. He believes the firefight is lacking indigenous knowledge. Nobody knows this ground like the people that live on it and the people that have lived here for generations. West of Kamloops Friday night, this is what prompted the Skeechiston First Nation to issue an evacuation order. Just shaking right now, it's just crazy. Members fleeing to Kamloops and Kelowna as winds shifted the Sparks Lake wildfire towards their community. It's just craziness, There's all these fires going on so quick and fast. East of 100 Mile House, hundreds of properties remain on evacuation order. We got the dog, ourselves, Back and luckily out. we have the boat. <laughs> we at least had time to pack up. This is the way the planet's going, so we need to start adapting. As the lightning sparked, Deca Lake fire burns out of control. It was a storm we've never seen before. Really, really bad. I'm concerned maybe my house is going to burn down, you know, but... Uh... What can you do? The fires are not close enough at this point that uh, we have an alert by any means within the district of 100 Mile House, but of course our emergency operations centre is open as well. With 100 Mile's resources filling up, the fire chief says Deca Lake evacuees are being redirected to Williams Lake. BC Wildfire, meantime, has requested help from the Canadian military and is awaiting the arrival of 80 firefighters and 13 support staff from back east. These additional resources from other provinces and from the military will really give us the ability to ensure that we're taking care of our crews and then in return being able to take care of the province and the fires that we're fighting. Some good news southwest of Castlegar, where the Mary Creek wildfire is 90% contained. With evacuation orders rescinded, residents can return home. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Kelowna is starting to see more fire evacuees arrive in that city. Officials say about two dozen people who have had to flee their homes are now registered. We have some people coming in from north of Kamloops that have been evacuated and there's no place else for them to go. So they come here and we will look after them for seven days to start with. And uh, right now we're putting some up in group lodging, but then we're going to be using a lot of hotels and things in Kelowna as well. The reception center is at the Salvation Army Church on Sutherland Avenue, and anyone who's been evacuated from any of the fires in the province is being welcomed. Officials say more people are starting to show up as they realize the Kelowna Emergency Support Services Center is open. And more now on the firefight and the conditions in the next 12 hours. Let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell. Yvonne, what are you seeing right now? We're tracking some thunderstorms this evening, and this is a big concern as we focus on in, especially for the interior. At this hour, we're seeing that just west of Williams Lake, areas near Quell, we've still got very dry conditions and the heat across the region. But the concern will be the risk of thunderstorms once again for tomorrow. And we've got a line right now that's just still pushing its way in towards the southeastern corners of the province. Looking ahead, though, we are going to see that risk pop up once again so the potential for thunderstorms with lightning and the winds will pick up across those regions the potential to see those winds fanning the flames we could see sustained winds at 30 and gusts just over 60 kilometers per hour smoky skies bulletin as well as the heat warning still in effect those areas coming up very shortly Nithu yikes okay thanks very much for that Yvonne and some of the places under an evacuation order or alert would normally be filling up with vacationers trying to enjoy step three of BC's restart plan instead it's providing a front row seat to the firefight. Paul Johnson has that part of the story. The peaceful shores of the southern Caribou's lakes saw this rude interruption Saturday. 
choppers filling buckets to fight the region's wildfires, which have triggered hundreds of evacuations for people in rural areas east of 100 Mile House and put many others on notice. It got a little scary. The flames were closer than we anticipated. Uh, fortunately, it has not come down this side of the hill, but we don't know. It's still not out. It's still burning. On the south shore of Canham Lake Saturday, people were pumping lake water out onto their properties as a protective measure after being put on alert Friday night and watching a menacing column of smoke rising from a wildfire burning to the south and west. The best effort is just to keep everything wet the best we can. 100 Mile House remains free from any direct threat from the region's wildfires, but they're bolstering their resources nonetheless. Today, uh, we're expecting uh, approximately 100 firefighters from around the province. Those people, plus dozens more pieces of equipment, will be poised for action in the coming hours, as no fewer than 36 fires burn in the parched southern Caribou region, where anxiety levels seem to track with the temperature. And especially after we saw what happened in Lytton in such a short period of time. Paul Johnson, Global News. Firefighters are warning the public to be vigilant with tinder dry conditions across Metro Vancouver. The outdoor fire danger is currently high after the prolonged dry spring and that recent heat wave. That means it doesn't take much to ignite a grass or brush fire as crews in Surrey discovered Friday night. Fortunately, this grass fire didn't spread, but parks and green spaces across urban areas are not immune to wildfires. Vancouver Fire Rescue says the risk is too high for people to be careless right now. We're fortunate that we haven't had a, a large or catastrophic wildfire in the city, but the potential is definitely there. Anything could start brush on fire. I mean, the most common cause and almost the exclusive cause of outdoor fires in the city of Vancouver is improperly discarded smoking material. But it could be something like the exhaust from a compressor or a pressure washer, um, somebody using a hibachi or an outdoor barbecue. All of those things we really need to be careful with this time of year. Now to the latest on the crisis inside the BC Ambulance Service. As you know, the organization is facing widespread criticism for its response to the deadly heat wave. Well, tonight, the union representing paramedics says it has had an initial meeting with Health Minister Adrian Dix. Union President Troy Clifford says the first meeting was productive and a second one will be held early next week. Clifford says they plan to focus on a number of key topics, including staff shortages and high call volumes in the lower mainland, plus the kilo pay model in which part-time paramedics working in rural communities are paid $2 an hour to be on call. On Thursday, BC Emergency Health Services boss Darlene McKinnon apologized for the major delays during the heat emergency. But Clifford says that apology didn't go over well with those on the front lines. I mean, we were very disappointed with the response, obviously, the lack of emergency preparedness uh, last week leading into the heat. Um, um, and even the response uh, to in the media by, by Darlene McKinnon, uh, the leader of the ambulance service, was really disappointing. And our members are very frustrated as well as us. I mean, that was disappointing. That was an opportunity to really acknowledge the challenges we've see, seen, not only for our patients, but for the members. And it has not been received well at all. Coming up after the break, too close to home, Vernon residents shaken after a shooting. I saw a truck speed up, somebody hop in, and then they peeled off. The latest from police after early morning gunfire in a residential parking lot. Plus, 
And you've got moms and dads all around you and brothers and sisters that are here to love you. Bikers Against Bullying, how parents who've lost their own are supporting kids and reminding them they're not alone. Shades of the Lower Mainland's gun violence in the North Okanagan as an early morning shooting in a normally quiet part of Vernon has left residents shaken. Darian Matassa-Fung has more. It's quite shocking, for sure. Like, this has never, well, yeah, never happened here. Residents in a small cul-de-sac in North Vernon are left in shock after an early morning shooting in their parking lot. The shooting happened around 5 in the morning on Delina Road. And then I heard four more gunshots. So I couldn't quite pinpoint that it was happening where it was, but I saw a truck speed up, somebody hop in, and then they peeled off. Sherilyn Truman was one of the residents who called police. She witnessed the shooters escape the scene. Um, it was a gray truck, looked like kind of a work utility truck, and it had like a black box in the back. Other residents are saying the shooting is a complete surprise. They are saying the area is extremely quiet. Shock. I mean, it's happening everywhere, but uh, I'm shocked. I mean, I'm just going out for the day. I didn't expect this kind of news. Shock. <laughs> I'm shocked. It's so quiet here. Never... Never hear anything. Vernon RCMP has confirmed they have opened an investigation. No injuries. Um, we was confirmed upon attendance that uh, somebody had been shooting at another vehicle. Uh, the vehicle involved, the suspect vehicle fled, and we haven't located them yet. Police have not called it a targeted incident. They did say the owner of the shot-up truck did not know why his vehicle was the target. RCMP would be looking for anyone who's living in the area who may have uh, video uh, footage from their house or from uh, their vehicles or may have seen or heard anything and have not already been contacted by the RCMP to uh, please come forward and contact us. Darian Matassa-Fung, Global News, Vernon. A precarious situation on the Grandview Highway off-ramp early this morning. That's after a vehicle crashed and ended up hanging over the edge of the overpass. Police blocking the eastbound lane of the off-ramp and the left lane of Grandview Highway for hours. The vehicle that was dangling off of the overpass was eventually removed. But Burnaby RCMP say lane closures were in effect until mid-afternoon. The cause of the crash is under investigation and there's no word on any injuries. Three children were presented new custom bikes today in East Vancouver. Children who have lost both of their parents in recent years getting new wheels made specially for them. Bikers Against Bullying, also known as the 212 crew, helping make this presentation happen. The anti-bullying group going as far as escorting bullied children to school. The club's founders lost a child who was swarmed and murdered in 2005. And now they're giving back. Um, I'm here because uh, 16 years ago yesterday my beautiful little boy was brutally attacked uh, as he walked alone and murdered on July 2nd 2005 his name was Matthew Martins and every year around the memorial and on his birthday we try to do a random act of kindness in memory of Matthew what a powerful initiative all right still ahead oil cars carrying uh, fluid derail in Alberta Spilling thousands of liters of liquid asphalt will have the latest on the investigation and the cleanup. Plus, why a lower mainland hospital is closing its maternity ward doors and where expected mothers are being diverted to. 
Cleanup is underway following a train derailment south of Edmonton. RCMP were called to Highway 2A and Range Road 270A just after 8 last night. This video sent in by a viewer shows more than a dozen cars off the tracks. RCMP say 23 train cars had derailed, four of which were carrying tar oil or liquid asphalt. Only one of the cars was found to have a leak while the remaining cars were intact. Luckily, no fires were started. Families of those missing in the Florida condo tower collapse have been dealt a devastating blow. The disaster has killed at least 24 people. More than 120 others are unaccounted for, including four Canadians. But officials say today the search will be paused again as crews prepare to demolish the remaining part of the building. Reggie Cicchini reports. A presidential push has now led to a federal agency beginning initial assessments of the collapse of the Champlain Tower in Surfside, Florida. The National Institute of Standards and Technology started its work on Friday, but it could take years for a full report to come to light. On Saturday, the death toll increased once again as the round-the-clock effort to search for survivors continues, even though no one has been pulled alive in more than 10 days. The hope is there, even if it's just one more. Adding to the complications for crews on the mound is the looming safety threat from the remaining structure, which local officials have said is going to come down, possibly within the next 36 hours. It comes as Tropical Storm Elsa churns towards the state. Search and rescue does, does have to pause temporarily while the demolition preparation is underway. Preparation includes activities like drilling into columns. There is threat to the standing building that is posed to the first responders. Officials also said additional searches for pets have been conducted in the last several days, but have said that no pets were found. Meanwhile, there are added concerns over the dire warnings about a possible structural failure that's adding to a damning 2018 report and to a letter sent to residents in April. New reports now suggest the condo board was pressuring the city for construction permits until the hours before the tower fell. That comes amid a flurry of activity to ensure buildings approaching a required 40-year recertification are sound. One in North Miami was evacuated on Friday pending an engineering report highlighting the threat facing other buildings in Miami that predate a more strict building code following Hurricane Andrew. And with Elsa now approaching, federal resources have also been moved around in the state to ensure that an adequate response to any impact, direct or not, is available in Surfside and elsewhere around Florida. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. In health matters, a lack of pediatricians is forcing Peace Arch Hospital to close its doors to expectant mothers for nine days starting next week. Fraser Health says the move is in response to a temporary gap in pediatrician coverage. Women with plans to deliver between July 8th and the 19th are being told to avoid Peace Arch Hospital. Instead, they're being told they should go to Langley Memorial. Anyone requiring urgent care can still go to the nearest ER. Coming up next, vaccinated wedding season. I can see our couples putting that on their invitations and RSVP cards. The couples wanting to know the immunization status of their guests and how they're planning around it. Planning a pandemic wedding around the vaccine status of guests. More on the new trend popping up in Canada next, but first, Smoky skies have rolled into much of the Okanagan, affecting the air quality. According to Interior Health, most of the southern interior will be impacted by wildfire smoke over the next few days. The health authority recommends stopping or reducing activity levels if you feel unwell and also staying cool and drinking plenty of fluids. 
That is so... Meantime, Invermere was pelted by hail Friday afternoon. Some businesses were hit by flash flooding and several gardens were severely damaged by the storm. The ground outside covered by frozen precipitation. Residents say the hail pretty much came out of nowhere and after the storm passed, the skies cleared and the weather turned sunny again. Well, Yvonne Shell is joining us now again for a look at the forecast, and you are tracking some more active weather across the province. Absolutely. We'll see a similar weather story for tomorrow, and that'll be the big concern for the firefight uh, situation across the province. So more on that and which areas are included within the Smoky Skies uh, advisory. Here's a quick glance outside overlooking English Bay and the smoke that's in the interior. We could see some hazy conditions. It could push its way along the coast with some outflow winds. We're sitting at 22 degrees, and we've got a southwesterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. Temperatures high once again, especially for the interior, many spots into the low 30s, upper 30s, for example, near Trail. And with the Humidex along the south coast, many areas were feeling into the low 30s. So we still have the heat, especially for the southern interior. And the big concern will be those thunderstorms. And we're continuing to watch run right now and towards the southeastern corners. It'll be similar for tomorrow with all areas across both the central and southern half of the province, looking at the risk of thunderstorms. Wind forecast, very important tomorrow. It'll pick up once again. We'll potentially have those winds sustained at 30 to 40 and then gust between 60 and up to 80 kilometers per hour and closer to the thunderstorms is where we can see those gusts exceeding 60 to 80. Now, fire danger rating, we're sitting at high for much of the province. A few areas that are in red, that's extreme. So please be very diligent with your campfires or very diligent outdoors and report any of the fires that you do spot. Now, the northern half of the province, it's inland that will see that risk of thunderstorms. Areas near Terrace still bumping up to 30 degrees. It's dry out there. We're not going to see much in terms of precipitation with these thunderstorms, but the potential is there to see hail and lightning will be the big concern that could ignite more fires. So please be very diligent. It's going to be dry, hot across the southern interior tomorrow with the risk of thunderstorms. And Monday, Tuesday, temperatures into the interior still staying into the 30s with the heat warning that is in effect. Now the south coast for tomorrow will see that range away from the water. 27 with the humidex, it'll feel into the low 30s. Monday, Tuesday, still hot and sunny across the board with temperatures still getting into the upper 20s. Nathan? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. A new trend is emerging in the Canadian wedding industry, and it could mean some changes to the guest list. Global's Charmin Samani tells us what this new trend is and if it's here to stay. Couples looking to get married have been through a lot of challenges in the past year and a half. Planning their wedding for so long and had to put it off and had to, you know, postpone and rearrange the way they wanted to have their wedding. As restrictions lift and more Canadians are vaccinated, wedding planner Roxy Zappella is seeing a new trend in the industry. A lot more couples are now looking to know whether their guests have been partially or fully vaccinated. She says with COVID-19 variants still around, couples want to be cautious, especially those planning indoor weddings. A lot of the events that are happening right now are actually outdoor events. Um, people still feel comfortable. But for indoor weddings, Roxy has some ideas on how to respectfully ask guests about their vaccine status. Perhaps on the RSVP cards, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a digital card or a physical one, putting something like decline with regret. Unfortunately, I will not be vaccinated at the time of your wedding. So that sort of implies to the guests that they're expected to be vaccinated to attend the wedding. Couples may want to put it on their wedding website. Neha Singla, the founder of Posh Events by Neha, says couples have started discussing vaccine status of their guests, but haven't been too firm about it. You know, I mean, 
We haven't really seen them put it on their invitations yet. Singla says lockdown rules are only allowing small gatherings. Most couples are celebrating their big day with close family and friends and have a general idea about their vaccine status. So they are verbally asking their guests and vendors whether they have been or not. Um, but they are making that exception where, you know, if some of them are not fully vaccinated. But she says she won't be surprised if vaccine status for wedding guests becomes a trend. I can see our couples putting that on their invitations and RSVP cards. For now, Singla recommends following pandemic guidelines and opting for outdoor weddings. Sharmin Samani, Global News. Just like that photo there, everybody's just trying to adapt to the time. <laughs> interesting concept. Yes. A lot of interesting things happening in sports as well, Barry. Yeah, a bit of an Olympic-sized bummer in Victoria mm. today. Unfortunately for Canada's men's Olympic basketball team, with all their NBA stars, uh, fell short in just an incredibly exciting, dramatic game against Czech Republic, but just lost out uh, last second really in overtime. So highlights of that, we'll hear from Nick Nurse. They're so disappointed. Canada really had a chance to do something at the Olympics if they could have got there, but they couldn't. It's so tough in those elimination uh, one game Winner takes all, anything can happen, and it didn't happen the right way. So anyway, I'm as upset as they are, I think. Yeah. Too bad. It's fun to watch, and uh, they're done. So that's all coming up. Right there with you, Barry. We'll look forward to that. Thanks so much. Also coming up, the tough turban. It's got this 3D printed chain mail, which harkens back to turbans that Sikhs used to ride into battle. And how it's designed to keep sick motorcyclists safe. Helmet exemptions for six vary across provinces and territories, but for many in the community, taking off the turban means stripping them of their identity. A new design concept hopes to make this less of a dilemma. Miranda Anthistle has more on the tough turban and how it could impact the sick motorcycle community. For some members of the sick motorcycle community, the freedom of the open road can mean choosing between wearing a helmet or wearing a turban, the latter being significant in the religion. It's more than just a fashion statement. It's, it's, it's an identity, it's a people, it's, it's a, um, a whole heritage. It ties me to my roots, so wearing a turban while riding is, is, is the best of both worlds. You know, it, it, it's Canadian and it, it helps me be myself, which is what Canada is all about. Turban-wearing Sikhs are exempt from wearing a helmet in B.C., Manitoba, Alberta and Ontario, which can leave them more vulnerable out on the roads. But an innovative concept wants to change that. One of the real exciting aspects to the foam is that it hardens on impact, so it really helps dissipate impact and protect the rider. The tough turban is made from a variety of materials, including a fabric used in bulletproof clothing. Backed by Faf Harley-Davidson, it was created and designed by Toronto creative agency Zulu Alpha Kilo. And it's got this 3D printed chainmail, which harkens back to turbans that Sikhs used to ride into battle. Um, and we kind of updated it by making, rather than having the chainmail that you have underneath the turban, we actually made 3D printed version of that. This tribute to the Sikh heritage and culture was inspired by Vic Bath's family, whose background is the same. My dad grew up in a small village in India, uh, and he always dreamed of riding a Harley-Davidson. It's taken two years to develop the prototype, which is still in the early stages of development. But the design is open-sourced and available online to allow for any manufacturer in the world to create a reinforced turban and reach as many riders as possible. That includes the Sick Motorcycle Club of Ontario, which has come on board as a consultant to Tough Turban. 
it was quite interesting and exciting for us to see something, an article that's been around for a thousand years or even more, uh, come to some sort of an innovative next step. It would be interesting to see where it goes, but we have to put in a quite a bit of work to make it workable. Since the helmet exemptions came into effect, Singh says there have been zero road fatalities of Canadian sick motorcyclists. And the creators of the Tough Turban want to keep it that way, protecting the sick identity while also keeping its community of avid motorcyclists safe. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. And still ahead, North Shore Climbing Challenge. I'm lucky to make it up here once and down once, so 18 times now, go for it. The special reason behind a bike ride, the elevation of Mount Everest in less than 20 hours. Next. Help kick childhood cancer at this year's Kick for a Cure. The Michael Cuccioni Foundation is inviting anyone who is a soccer enthusiast or passionate about finding a cure for childhood cancer to join them this July. Register online at kickforacure.ca. Attention golfers, the IGA Vancouver Golf Tour is hosting their 2021 Johnson Meyer Insurance Vancouver Open August 20th through 22nd. The 54-hole event will be taking place at two courses in Vancouver, and the details are at vancouvergolftour.com. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you wanna know, it's on the house. If you wanna show, it's on the house. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back for a look at sports. And Barry, you are the bearer of bad news for those who had high Olympic hopes in Victoria. Yeah, for the basketball. Second straight Olympic qualifier that they've lost the most heartbreaking way possible yeah. on the men's basketball team. They'll have to wait a few more years to get back there. Thanks, Neethu. Uh, well, you certainly could not question the size of candidates' hearts in their semifinal today versus the Czech Republic at the FIBA Olympic qualifier in Victoria. Canada played from behind virtually the entire game, and when it looked like they had absolutely no chance, they overcame a nine-point deficit in the final minute to force o- overtime only to lose an absolute heartbreaker in extra time. They did have fans in the stands, about 720, 10% of capacity. Nick Nurse's team has gotten off to slow starts in their first two games. They were down nine in the first, but this jumper at the buzzer by Nikhil Alexander-Walker cut the lead to two after one. But Canada struggled scoring in the second. They played great defense here, but the Czechs get the ball back and hit the long three by Blake Schilb. 52-44 Czech Republic at the half. Third quarter, Canada trying to stay close. Andrew Nicholson with the jam here off the feed from R.J. Barrett. 67-60, Canada trailed after three. Fourth quarter, Czechs has stretched the lead up to as high as 13. Chicago Bulls' Thomas Sadoransky with the driving jam. It did not look good for Canada, but in the final minute, R.J. Barrett with the three, it goes. And then Andrew Wiggins, moments later, will drive and draw the foul to complete the three-point play. All of a sudden, they're within three. And then on the ensuing inbounds pass after the free throw, Canada steals it, and Wiggins will amazingly hit another three. And Canada, with nine straight points, sends it to overtime. They had a horrendous three-point shooting day most of the day, but they hit some when it counted most. In overtime, Canada keeps it rolling. R.J. Barrett into the paint, layup, draws the foul, missed the free throw, but Canada still by five, but again, the Czechs answer seven straight points. The 37-year-old American-born Blake Schilb with his seventh three-pointer, he had the game of his life. 
But back comes Wiggins, hits the mid-ranger, clutch shot there, tied at 101-101. Then Sadoransky with Lou Dort all over him, goes off the glass with 1.8 seconds to go, checks lead by two. But Canada with one last chance. Terrific inbounds to Trey Lyles, open look. But it rattles out. Heartbreak for Canada. They will not be going to the Olympics. The Czechs will play Greece in the final tomorrow. But hopefully going forward, more of Canada's players will join the program to make it one of the best in the world. There's tremendous character. There's tremendous personality. There's tremendous talent. There's tremendous work ethic by the guys that committed. But I think that, you know, if we can get a group of guys to stick together for... For, for some years, that always helps. I think case in point is tonight, and that's, that's it. I think um, I'm, not, I'm not making any excuses for tonight. We had our chances, right? We did. We had our chances. Um, but continue to build the program, learn a lot from this, and continue to build it. Well, the Whitecaps' luck continues to be of the uh, bad variety this season. Today, they announced they have mutually agreed to terminate Ali Adnan's contract because they could not secure a U.S. work visa for their 2020 Player of the Year. Adnan previously had a U.S. work visa, but the renewal process just ground to a halt. The fact that he's from Iraq probably not helping his cause. He wanted to play. The Whitecaps wanted him to play, but with no end in sight to the visa issue, Adnan asked for his release, and the Whitecaps felt it was the right thing to do to let him try to find a job elsewhere. This leads to a lot of frustration and to a situation where Ali was asking for that termination. And his market value and his career has stopped because of that. And uh, so he wants, hopefully he hopes to get some advantage in this summer window at some point. But he is not even sure about that. And uh, he wants to stay in, in Iraq now and to continue to train there with the team to get in shape, back in shape, and, and to be an option somewhere. But Euro quarterfinals today. Harry Kane in England taking on Ukraine in Rome. England off to a rapid start. Fourth minute, Raheem Sterling on the attack. Through ball to Harry Kane, who pokes it in. His second of the tournament. And England up early, 1-0. Opening minute, second half, off the free kick. Luke Shaw whips it into the box. And Harry Maguire is there to head it in. England up 2-0, and there was plenty more to come. Less than four minutes later, Luke Shaw again on a platter for Kane, who nods in his second of the match. England a scoring machine all of a sudden. It's 3-0, and then one more for good measure off the corner. It's Jordan Henderson with the nod of approval. Another header goal. England, in impressive fashion, routes Ukraine 4-0 the final. And England are in the final four of Euro 2020. Earlier, Denmark met the Czech Republic. Danes looking more and more like a team of destiny, rallying behind Christian Eriksen. Wasted no time finding the back of the net. Fifth minute, Thomas Delaney heading it home. Great start for Denmark, up 1-0. And then in the 42nd, more superb service into the box. Kasper Dolberg running onto it. Fantastic finish from him. And Denmark hold off the Czechs 2-1. They are going to the semifinals and they will meet England 
on Wednesday in that semi. Wimbledon third round, Felix Ojeoliasim taking on the always entertaining Nick Karios, who forgot his grass court shoes. A shock for every other player, not for Kyrgios, who's playing his first tournament since the Aussie Open. And Kyrgios has played well, dominated the opening set, won it six games to two. But during that first set, he pulled an abdominal muscle, needed a medical timeout, but the pain would not go away, and Kyrgios really struggled. And Felix took full advantage, rips the return winner to break to go up 3-1 in the second set. Kyrgios really could not really move at all. Felix with another big forehand winner here, took the second set 6-1, and Kyrgios, well, couldn't carry on. Had to retire with the abdominal pull, so Felix is on his way to the fourth round on Monday. He'll play the fourth seed, Alex Zverev of Germany. Just Felix's second Wimbledon, it's the furthest he's gone. Denis Shapovalov will also play fourth round Monday against Sp- Spain's Roberto Bautista Agut, and of course they take Sundays off on the middle Sunday at Wimbledon, so no tennis tomorrow. Baseball today, Jays in Tampa from Buffalo. This is such a good sign. George Springer with a solo homer Second straight game he's done that. He's only played in 14 games this year. If he can stay healthy, that Jays offense will be even more dangerous. Now to the sixth up, 2-1. Bases loaded. Kevin Biggio will bloop one to left. It drops. Teoscar Hernandez and Springer both score. That made it 4-1 Blue Jays. And then Santiago Espinal getting a rare start. And he will hit a two-run homer. It's his first Major League homer. And the Jays beat the Rays for the second straight game, 6-3. Toronto 43-38 as they hit the halfway mark of the season. And now they are just three games out of the American League wildcard. PGA Tour stop is the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. American Troy Merritt teeing it up at the par 3 11th, 218 yards. That's a tough par 3, but Merritt, perfect 5-iron, draws it in. And on the second hop, dunks it in for the ace. Merritt is tied for the lead at 14-under with Chile's Joaquin Neiman. Mackenzie Hughes, top Canadian, tied 15th at minus 8. Roger Sloan of Merritt tied 25th at 8-under. And Nick Taylor is at 6-under, tied 47th. NBA playoffs, game 6 from Atlanta. Trey Young back in the lineup for the Hawks after missing two games with an ankle sprain. Still no Giannis Antetokounmpo out with a knee injury for the Bucks. First quarter, Young... Well, that ankle looking fine here. Drives the basket, hits the floater, draws the foul. It's a three-point play. Low-scoring game. Drew Holiday, though, drives and lays it in. Bucks lead 47-43 at the half. If they had win, they advance to the NBA Finals versus uh, Phoenix starting next week. And in the Canadian Elite Basketball League, Fraser Valley won again, 90-72 over Ottawa. They're off to a 4-0 start. Neetu, back to you. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, the charitable cause behind a BC cycling challenge spanning the equivalent of the elevation of Mount Everest. Stay with us. Well, some people have cycled the roads and highways up and down the North Shore Mountains in the equivalent distance of Mount Everest. But no one has attempted Everesting using the North Shore's off-road trails only until this weekend. Videographer Sharon Bates has the story. It's uh, 2 in the morning, or just about. Uh, it's 1.30. And I'm stoked. Ted Russo is going to, not only is he going to attempt to ride the elevation of Everest, but he's going to do it on the north shore of Vancouver. The term Everesting is used when bike riding the equivalent of the elevation of Mount Everest. 8,849 meters or approximately 170 kilometers. 
Ted hopes to complete riding up and down single-track mountain bike trails on Mount Fromm on the North Shore 18 times in under 20 hours. The climb is about 10% on the way up and then immediately starts into a technical downhill. The rules, you must ride the elevation in one attempt, no sleep. But this has got to be one of the nastiest places on earth to do this. Coming down the descent, as fatigue really sets in, I think it's going to be the bigger challenge in the last half of it. The kind of terrain that he's getting himself into with this kind of duration is what I would say double extreme. It is a really intense ride, especially on the North Shore where the trails are some of the most technical in the world. Wow. Yeah. It might seem crazy, but conquering this challenge is not the only reason Ted is doing this. To uh, raise funds for, with, a, with the help of the, uh, the crew at Obsession Bikes to raise funds for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Woo-hoo! We're incredibly grateful that Ted chose Make-A-Wish as the fundraiser that he wanted to associate with this event. We know the charity sector has had a tough time all around, so we're, we're very grateful to him that he wanted to make this North Shore Everest attempt uh, as much about us uh, as well as what he's trying to accomplish personally. Yeah, Ted! I can't believe somebody can do it 18 times. Can't wait to donate. Crazy, but inspiring, and he's happy with what he's doing. That's like, it's nice to watch that. One more and it's halfway. <laughs> right on, Ted. You're our hero for doing this. Um, I'm lucky to make it up here once and down once, so 18 times, man. Go for it. While the riding is a solo adventure, it takes a crew behind the scenes to make it all happen. A little pain under my knee. I may slide the seat further back a little bit, but I'll just leave it up. The guy's an animal if he's going to do this 18 times in a row in one day. Savage. To donate, go to makeawish.ca. Sharon Bates. We have a status update. 59-year-old Ted has three laps to go, so he should be done by around 8.30 or 9, and he started at 2 a.m. Incredible. Wow, that's amazing. Wish him luck. Can't wait till 2 a.m., I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, no kidding. All right, that's it for us. Jordan Armstrong will be here for Global News at 11. Stay safe, everybody.